You'd open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2. It was my intent originally to go uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, but there is simply way too much here, and uh, we're not in a hurry. So we're going to look at verses 15 and uh, through uh, six, 15 and 16. I'll read through the end of the chapter, but uh, we'll be looking at uh, just verses 15 and 16 this morning, uh, the essence of the gospel. Uh, just to quickly catch us up, Paul is uh, in a, con- he's in a, a, a debate and. Uh, uh, with the false teachers in uh, the churches of Galatia who are teaching that uh, to be a Christian, you have to first become a Jew. To be uh, saved by grace, you have to first submit to the law, the law of Moses. And Paul has been uh, highlighting how uh, that is a refutation of the very gospel. And uh, this morning, uh, Paul again uh, captures the essence of the gospel with one word, and we'll see that in our text. So let's pick it up. I'm going to start at verse 11, just so we get a bit of the historical context here. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Paul writes, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our God and Father, we thank you that you speak gospel truth to us in your scripture. And we thank you, Lord, that we come this morning as sinners, but sinners who can be saved by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would minister then your truth by your spirit through your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if I had asked you this morning to summarize the gospel in one word, I wonder what word you would choose. Uh, Maybe the cross, maybe grace, uh, maybe Jesus, that would be a good word. Um, But the word that Paul chooses this morning uh, to summarize the gospel is the word justification. Uh, The gospel is, at its essence, a message about justification. Uh, It's the first time the word shows up in the letter, but as Paul uh, goes on to explain the gospel, he uses this word uh, four times in these few two verses, uh, the word justification. The gospel is, at its core, at its essence, 
a message about how you, a sinner, can be declared innocent, righteous, before a holy God. That's the concept. Justification. John Stott says, Nobody has understood Christianity who does not understand this word. J.I. Packer says, The doctrine of justification is like Atlas. It bears a whole world on its shoulders, the entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace. And then Martin Luther, from his commentary, This is the truth of the gospel. It is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's classic Luther, right? Beat it into their heads continually. Why? Because we forget it continually. And if we forget this, we, for, we have forgotten the gospel. If we lose sight of this, we lose sight of the gospel. Unfortunately, we are living in a day and age where many professing Christians would not be able to tell you what justification is or what it means. Uh, there are many who, there's just great confusion about the essence, the central purpose and nature of the gospel. We have many, many uh, teachers in uh, the Christian world today who will tell you that the, the central purpose of the gospel is, is God wanting to help you to flourish in your life, whether relationally or financially or emotionally. So it can be a health-wealth gospel or a therapeutic gospel. Uh, Jesus is your life coach, helping you to, uh, to uh, find your true authentic self and, and to live to your fullest potential. All right, that's one uh, idea of what the gospel is about. It's a false idea. Uh, there are others who say the primary message of the Bible or the gospel is uh, to show us how Jesus lived so that we can live like Jesus and uh, impact the world for good, then uh, that we can build the kingdom of God by living like Jesus. That's called the social gospel. Those are not those are not uh, the, the true purpose or central focus of the gospel. The, the primary purpose of the gospel is this one thing. It's, it's to communicate to sinners how you can escape the judgment of God. That's the central purpose of the gospel. If you ask the question, what is the Bible for? You wouldn't be able to find a better answer than what John tells us in John chapter 20, where he says, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing may have life in his name. You see, the, the whole enterprise is predicated on the conviction that, that people are, by nature, dead. Dead in their sin. Dead under um, the weight of their guilt. Uh, dead in that they are under the judgment of God. Uh, dead in that they are doomed for an eternity without God in hell. The whole Christian gospel is based on that conviction and that reality. So that if that is not true, if there is no God, if there's no such thing as, a, as sin, an actual violation of the law of God that incurs debt and guilt and that must be recompensed with justice, if that is not true, 
If there's no throne of judgment where we must stand and give an account for our life, if there's no righteous judge who will judge perfectly and send some to eternal heaven and others to eternal hell, see, if those things aren't true, well, then the gospel has absolutely nothing to say to this world. There's, there's, there's no message left because this is a message specifically concerning these things. The gospel assumes that every person born after uh, or born from uh, Adam and Eve, right? Every, every child born since Abel or Cain, every child is born in sin except one, Jesus Christ. And that every, every person born commits sin. So guilty not only uh, due to being under the federal headship of Adam, which just means that, that, that we are, are uh, judged as sinners because we, we, our, our father, in a sense, is a sinner, but, but we commit actual sins ourselves, and therefore we are actually under the condemnation of the law and, and actually must face a holy, holy God. And, and, the, and the question then the, that we have to ask is, how could I be made right with God, me the sinner, who commits real sin, how can I be made right with God? Well, Paul is addressing that here in the letter to Galatians. He has just rebuked Peter publicly, not because Peter doesn't believe the gospel, but because Peter has been, uh, in his actions, denying it. He's been, he's been living uh, like a hypocrite. And the whole issue resolves around the issue of righteousness and acceptance, so Peter used to eat with the Gentile Christians because Peter, on the basis of the gospel, understood that Gentile sinners, people who uh, lived all their life in paganism, uh, had no idea of the law of Moses, that they have been accepted by God and declared righteous before God purely on the basis of the um, atoning life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That they've been saved by grace and through faith and not by works of the law. Peter knows this. Peter teaches this. But Peter's been living as though it were not true. So he has not been, he has drawn back from eating with the Gentiles as though they were not righteous in God's sight and though they were not accepted in God's eyes. And so Paul points it out. Paul calls him on it. That you have not been living uh, not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's the charge. Peter and Barnabas and all the Jews are living not in step with the truth of the gospel. And, and now in verses 15 and 16, Paul then goes to the core truth of the gospel. The essential truth of the gospel. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That just means Paul is acknowledging that the way that these Jewish Christians thought um, is that uh, there, there were two people in the world. There were the Jews, who were God's covenant people, living under the Mosaic covenant, under the, the law of Moses, and then there were Gentile sinners. And, and sinners uh, doesn't mean they were necessarily bad people. They could be noble people, but they're outside of the confines of the covenant, and they, they, they exist in the category of people who are not right with God. Paul says, we know that's how we saw the world, that we're, we're Jews... We're not Gentile sinners, but yet we, Peter, you and I, know, we're convinced of this, we believe this, we know this, 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, we know this to be true. You see, when it comes to uh, being declared righteous, which is what justification is, it is the act of God where he declares someone to be righteous, innocent, before the judgment throne. And Peter, uh, Paul reminds Peter, there, there's only two options um, for how that's going to happen. There's the law option, and there's the faith and grace option. The law option is this. Uh, live a perfect life, and you will be justified. If you live a perfect life, God promises you that being a just judge, he will declare on that last day that you are, in fact, innocent, that you are righteous. Uh, this is a, a very easy uh, option to understand. Uh, you, you simply need to do what the law says and not do what the law forbids. And you need to do these things perfectly. Now, that's, of course, where people object. Um, surely, they'll say, you don't have to be perfect. I mean, that's, that's just not possible. God doesn't expect that. Uh, he just wants you to, to do the best that you can. Uh, the false teachers who have infiltrated the churches in Galatia, they would not say you have to be perfect. They would just say that you have to um, you know, come under the law of Moses, be circumcised, be a, become a Jew, and then do the best you can, and grace will cover the rest. But you see, uh, that position fails to understand the crisis of humanity. The, the crisis of humanity is that we've already broken the law. We've already, uh, been, uh, we've already failed to keep this standard. We're already sinners, both by virtue of Adam's fall and by virtue of our own, uh, of our own sin. And, and no amount of law-keeping from this point forward can, can pay the debt that we owe to God for, for violating His law. We, we can't make up for the crimes that we've committed it's the, nature of, it's the nature of sin. Uh, w w when you sin against someone grievously, you can say you're sorry, but that doesn't make up for it, right? And, and you know that to be true. So if, if someone says they're sorry to you and then rebukes you uh, because you're, you're just not overjoyed with their apology as, as though they've somehow made up for it, you sense there's something wrong here. This person doesn't really understand what they did against me. So apologies can't pay back. You... There's no way to pay back in some, even if you steal from someone and, and, you, and you pay back what you've stolen. You, you can't pay back the violation to their person, the wound that you've caused to them. You, you can't pay back your sin. And certainly we can't do that in the presence of God. If we can't do it with one another, we can humble ourselves and confess the sin, but that doesn't pay the debt. And so before the Lord, we, 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 we've already have, uh, we've already stumbled. And yet the law says uh, the only way to be saved by the law is by keeping the law perfectly. Jesus says you must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I remember teaching this to a class of uh, um, seventh graders, uh, VBS a long time ago. Uh, and as I remember, it was, it was all boys. I had about uh, eight boys in the, in the class. And uh, I asked them, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? 
And uh, they pondered this. They all agreed you ha- it had to be over five. You had to be, you know, mostly good. Most of them were, they thought seven was a good number. Um, as I remember, one ventured eight. And, uh, and I said, no, sorry, it has to be a ten. You have to be perfect. And there was a moment of stunned silence. And then one little guy blurts out, well, that's impossible. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. And I said, we got a winner. That's exactly right. Nobody's perfect. Which is why Paul says in verse 16, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's not possible. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. So the law option only works if you're able to live a sinless life, and since no one is able except Jesus to live a sinful life, then the law option can't possibly work. Not for sinners like us. So Paul says, Peter, we know this. We know this to be true. And we also know that the only option available then is the grace and faith option. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed the act of faith in Christ Jesus in order to be be justified by faith in Christ. The key to being justified is not the option of the law. That can't work. The key is the option of faith. The, 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 the thing that, that frees a sinner from the condemnation that we deserve, the thing that, that accrues the verdict of righteousness is faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And not just a historical faith, an intellectual faith, not just believing that Jesus existed. You know the devil believes that. But it's a faith that comes to Christ to, in order to be saved. It's a faith that, that acknowledges that my works are insufficient. My works will never possibly save me. They cannot possibly merit the verdict of righteousness. I'm not a righteous person by nature. And so faith is coming to Jesus with open hands like a beggar waiting to receive a free gift. That's faith. And it's exactly that which God promises to reward with a verdict of righteousness. That he reckons righteousness to those who believe. You see, the beauty of salvation by faith and not by works is that it means that it's, it's a free gift. Purchased by the life and the death of Jesus. This is the, this is the gospel. This is the ground. If you, you say, well, how could God possibly uh, declare a sinner like you to be innocent? Uh, some have charged that this is legal fiction. The fact is, God's just sort of making it up. You're not, you're not innocent. Everybody knows you're, you're not innocent. And yet God decides, because he's God, to say innocent. But it's fiction. Well, it's not fiction because it's founded on the fact of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's going to get into this more and we'll look at this more next week. But but Paul will show how by our union with Jesus Christ, which which happens by faith, we're united to one who actually came as man and fulfilled the law, who lived a perfectly obedient life. And when Jesus then died on the cross, he didn't uh, die simply bearing the guilt of our sin. 
Jesus died on the cross to give us the free gift of His righteous life imputed to our account. This is the part that often gets missed. If you ask people, what's the gospel about? Jesus died for my sins. Yes, that's true. But what was accomplished in that? Jesus didn't simply die to bear the guilt of my sin. Jesus died offering up His righteous life, which is imputed freely to those who believe. Like Paul, the, 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 the religious terrorist who was killing people, thinking he was pleasing God. So those who believe are reckoned righteous. They're, they're, account, they're declared to be innocent before the throne of God by God, not because of our works, but because of Christ's works. Luther says this, I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law. The law tells us what we ought to do. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Namely, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. That's the gospel. Stuart Olicott says, What is required of me is not to live a perfect life, because another has lived a perfect life. What is required of me is to repent of the life that I have lived and believe that Jesus lived the law and fulfilled the law on my behalf. That's the gospel. Let me ask you, are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to stand before God? Are you afraid to have your life reviewed by the one who knows every single thing you've ever said, everything you've ever done, every, every thought, every motivation of your heart? Because that's what happens when we die. Well, the gospel tells us that by faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to stand before God because God has already, justification is a one-time act, a declaration by God that's already taken place when you came to faith, that you are righteous before the law. The law has no claim on you any longer. That God has sent a substitute uh, to, to, to bear your sin and to bear the penalty that you deserved for your sin and the substitute who lived the righteous life you could never live and freely then offers up that life to your account. So that when God declares you to be righteous and innocent, it's not legal fiction. It is founded on the reality of Christ's obedience. And this is true of us, all by the merit of Jesus, and all while we still struggle with sin. I love what the Heidelberg Catechism says in question and answer 60. How are you made righteous before God? This is such an honest answer, beautiful answer. Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience Accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commands of God and kept none of them. That's true. You've, you've not kept one of the commands of God perfectly. And am still inclined to all evil. That's true. Right? Your flesh is still flesh. Notwithstanding, even though my conscience is accusing me and I recognize that I've grossly transgressed and I'm still inclined to evil, notwithstanding God without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants 
and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. That's an incredible paragraph. That though I still am inclined to sin, and I still sin, and I recognize I violated all of God's commands, yet notwithstanding God, because of Jesus, judges me to be righteous as if I had never sinned. Martin Luther says a Christian is not someone who has no sin or feels no sin. He is someone to whom, because of his faith in Christ, God does not impute his sin. God doesn't impute his sin. That's a marvelous thought. That that God justifies us, declares us to be righteous and innocent because our sins have Uh, truly been imputed to Christ and His righteousness has truly been imputed to us so that God no longer and never will impute to you your sin. Isn't that astonishing? If you you understand that, there should be a little question maybe that, that kicks up in the back of your mind. Well, then why wouldn't I just sin as much as I like? Which Paul will address immediately, verse 17. But you see, if that that thought hasn't occurred to you, then maybe you don't really understand how free this actually is. God will not impute to you your sin if you uh, have come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's still sin. God knows it's sin. He will chastise you maybe, discipline you maybe, but he will never impute it to you. He will never ask you to pay for it. Blessed is the one, David says, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is wholly covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You see, the gospel is the answer to the great crisis of humanity. How, what must I do to be saved? How can I escape the wrath of God due to me because of my sin? That's the crisis, and the gospel is the answer. And it's the only answer. Uh, the devil will, will uh, and your pride will tempt you to do it yourself, to work harder, to make uh, better promises, to be more intentional, just strive to be better, do better. The, the, the devil's one of, his, one of his favorite tricks to drag people into hell is to tell people that if they just try a little harder, they can avoid it, that God really does grade on a curve. Well, it's just not true. And all these people who've labored to be better and to do better and, 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 and maybe uh, offer sacrifices or do things that they think uh, somehow pay back for their sin. These poor, poor people, when they stand in the presence of God, will immediately realize before a word is spoken that there's not a chance that the good things that they've done would be able to satisfy perfect righteousness. Religious people will tell you to do religious things. Pray, go to church, go to Mass if you're Roman Catholic, read your Bible, don't commit any really grievous sins, or if you do, do what you can to just stop and and try to make it better. Do the best you can and God will accept it. Just alive the devil. Trusting in your religion is just another attempt to save yourself and it can't work. But the gospel says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The gospel is, a, is the, the offer of a, the free gift of righteousness 
to you, the sinner, on the basis of the life and death of Jesus Christ. But you might think, what if I'm a, what if I'm a really ungodly person? Uh, you don't know me, Pastor. Um, the things that I've done in my past, I, um, I am a deeply ungodly person. Or if you know what's going on in my heart, you know what's going on in my mind, I'm a very perverse person. Well, the gospel then is for you because Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, that God justifies the ungodly. That's the whole point. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And you just read through the Bible, the wonderful truth is that sinner, great grievous sinner after another, comes and is rescued by God. Rahab, the very wicked woman living in Jericho, a prostitute, is rescued by the grace of God. And, and David, a man who does wicked, awful things, adultery and murder, as the king of Israel, having received all the blessings of God, David accounted righteous. David, the one writing Psalm 32, that, that God will not impute his sin to him. See, Jesus Christ came into the world for sinners. And I know you know that to be true. But when's the last time you leaned on it? When's the last time you took that truth for yourself? As your conscience accused you of your sin? As, as the reality of what you've said and what you've thought and what you've done and what your heart is like, that reality has, has uh, charged you with true guilt. Have you, have you come to this gospel to take refuge in it? Jesus Christ died for sinners of whom I am chief. Isaiah chapter 55, God promises, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts, let him turn to our God, that he may have compassion on him and to our, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Friends, that's the promise of the gospel, that God abundantly pardons those who come to him. And, and that's part of justification. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only because of, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And my question for you this morning is, have you received that gift then by faith alone? Uh, faith is the instrument of justification. Jesus', Jesus perfect life is the ground. God's free grace is the motive. And faith is the instrument. Faith is the way you receive this gift. As you confess your sin, as you repent, turning back to the Lord and asking Jesus to save you freely as a gift. If you've never done that, I plead with you to do it today. There are two ways to be saved. The law option, which will never work for you, and the faith and grace option. And this morning, that's what we celebrate at the Lord's table. We celebrate the gospel. God's word to us in the sacrament is that, is that Jesus Christ died to justify the ungodly. That Jesus Christ gave his life to bear our real sin and Jesus Christ offered up his righteousness to be imputed to our account. That Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, imagine that, was put to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. 
May God grant you grace and mercy and peace in believing. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it's for sinners. And I pray that as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, that we would rejoice in what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. We thank you for such a wonderful, wonderful gospel truth that, God, you are willing graciously to justify us all because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us now as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.